0: Barry Sherry here. Thanks for tuning in to Pink Noise, a radio show dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who have mined and shined their inner gold. I'm recording on board a floating home that I share with my partner in Seattle, Washington. I would like to acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral lands of the Duwamish people, past and present. It's kind of weird that in this moment I'm finding the words to introduce my beloved partner, Kevin. We met in March of 2019 and have been planning a life together ever since. We built a foundation on trust and we shower each other with unconditional love. Early on, we made a pact to prioritize the best outcomes for each other in any endeavor. And I'm grabbing my pink megaphone to proclaim my awe for his next audacious adventure. And it's all starting today on Sunday, June 27th. Yeah, today a very special, special guest coming to the Pink Noise Airwaves, the one and only Kevin Humphreys. Welcome to Pink Noise.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, it's a special day and you and I both know why.
1: Yeah, this episode is broadcast on my birthday.
0: (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Happy birthday, Kevin! (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What else is happening today on June
1: 27th? The start of a cross-country bike race. Unsupported from Portland to Washington, D.C. 3,500 miles with about a third on gravel roads as a personal challenge.
0: 3,500 miles across the country on a bicycle by yourself.
1: With no support allowed. So figure out your own uh, water, food, accommodation, bike repairs if you break down, be self-sufficient all the way. Uh, The rules are you can use commercial services that Uh, anyone else in the race can use but no personalized service so you can't have friends and family helping just you they've got to help everyone if they want to help
0: how does something like that even begin like where Mm -hmm. does the the notion in your mind that this is something you want to do this is something you want to train for and sign up for like where does that seed first get Like, where does it take root?
1: From wanting to stretch and try a new challenge that's outside the comfort zone compared to what I've done before. So I've done long-distance riding for most of my life, like century rides since age 10 or 11.
0: And century rides are?
1: 100 miles. And built up to some multi day ride three and four day rides and 1200 kilometer rides, uh, which is part of the the Randonneur scene, which is a French tradition that's now over here with Randonneurs USA. And after doing those kind of rides three times uh, 1200 K three times. uh, The question comes up what's next now I know I can do that. So this was about looking for a bigger challenge. And stretching outside my comfort zone so there was no kind of confidence or sureness that I've got this I'm, I, I can do this part of the challenge is I don't know if I can do this but let's give it a go anyway
0: and why bicycles
1: that's kind of a lifelong passion and, and like I do fitness kind of background for me my father did a lot of cycling as well, that was his main mode of transport. Uh, He has stories of riding from home to like his Royal Air Force deployments the other end of the country just to show up on bike. Um, So I guess he normalized that for me, that you can ride 200 miles overnight and it's not a completely crazy thing to do (laughs) and to get to work in the morning.
0: So so wait, you're telling me your father, who grew up outside of Manchester, mm-hmm. would ride his bike 200 miles to go to work?
1: He was uh, did military service in the Royal Air Force and got posted to different uh, Air Force bases and went home for the weekend and had to show back up at work on Monday and usually rode, including riding overnight.
0: So um, do you... Would your dad be your inspiration for riding? He got you started, it like. He got like me started
1: it. and he normalized it, that doing a long distance on a bike is not a completely crazy thing. He showed me it was possible. And yeah, he encouraged me. He was kind of coaching me for some tries at racing when I was in my teens. And that kind of stuck. And I really value and credit him for giving me kind of lifelong fitness as normal because being out and active is just normal for me now.
0: So the value of fitness is something that you got from your dad. Um, What are some of your other values?
1: The main one is about exploring and testing limits and seeing what's possible. Even if everyone's telling you it's crazy, why would you do that? Give it a go anyway. So finding challenges and stretching outside comfort zones a little.
0: What is it about that that turns you on?
1: I think just to know, just to explore, just to try something new and different. And part about lifelong learning and trying something that's completely different from something you've done before. And one of the learnings might be you don't like it. This is a crazy thing to do. I'm never doing it again. But that's okay. It's still part of learning. So, the first time I did one of these rides was in 2018. And that was a cross country race, actually, by the same organizer as the one that's starting this week. And that was Astoria to Yorktown, Virginia. That was a challenge. That was way outside my comfort zone then. And that was. Okay, going through a relationship breakup and like doing my own thing and a complete kind of ownership of, this is something for me. This is a test I wanna give myself. It's not pushed or even encouraged by anyone else. I'm just gonna go for it. And there's a, a phrase, a motto that stuck with me is that if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And I was ready for a change. And maybe that's the way I thought would initiate it just get completely outside comfort zone and see where I end up, Mm. see what might change.
0: That's the advice that an old friend gave me after I broke up um, with my ex-husband. And I ran into this old friend that I hadn't seen in decades. We went to college together and we met long enough to have a beer and his advice was, you want to figure yourself out, go get lost somewhere um new somewhere foreign get outside your comfort zone and see what you're made of and Mm. so it sounds like you used a similar philosophy to say yes to that first big bike race
1: and some of that story is about go find yourself to to define what your priorities are to what your values now are after a big shift
0: and so what happened (laughs)
1: I finished that race in 27 days for 4,200 miles. And that was just after my 50th birthday, which was kind of a challenge. I wanted to do it by the time I was 50. I missed it by two days, but it was close enough.
0: So, how many miles a day would that have been?
1: And that was just over 150 a day.
0: How do you maintain that level of endurance day after day? <laughs>
1: Eat <what>? lots. <laughs> Yeah, you're burning a lot of calories, so you can eat as much junk food as you want, and it's still not enough. (laughs) But yeah, back to what your question was: what changed on doing a challenge like that? I just found a lot of self-confidence. I think that had been a little worn down going through a relationship breakup and not sure where my center was anymore, kind of feeling, and what what was important to me and that was proving to myself that i can set my mind to something and do it and be self-sufficient about it and that's probably the appeal of the self-supported ride i didn't want a support team that i was you know, responsible to i just wanted to do my own thing and be completely independent and that was a challenge to see what what i could do on my own so I'm not sure what I, exactly what I learned from that, apart from I can do it on my own. <laughs> of course, it's different with support, with family support, with team support around, but it's rewarding to know that I can set my mind to something and follow through on a goal I set.
0: So with the value of independence and self-sufficiency that has been a repeating theme, was that something you grew up with? Did you, did you have a value for taking care of yourself from a young age?
1: I think I had a need.
0: You learned that it was important for you to take care of yourself.
1: And in some ways necessary. Yeah, that's a big question. That I, I know I value it now and I kind of look up to people who are independent and well prepared for things. And I kind of aspire to that, but I think my motivation for that originates from just having to be like that. But yeah, the question there is, do I still need to be like that? Is that something I can grow out of? And learn to lean on people more or differently than I have felt safe doing before?
0: It seems pretty clear from the work that I'm doing that the way we show up as children to meet our own needs, needs that maybe aren't getting met at home, we adapt and we either expand or contract depending on the environment, right? depending on whether, what what feels safe. And and then at some point in our adulthood, we kind of forget to revisit that if if we're safe now, if we can meet our own psychological safety needs as an adult, then we can set down that protective mechanism that we needed to leverage when we were young and so yeah the point you just bring up about you know do I still need it now or can I ask for help can I soften and open and let help come to me because it's available to you and mm. and you have to get to trust it right
1: and some are just default patterns that you grew up with and the safety and in- sticking to those patterns.
0: Thanks for sharing more about that.
1: Thanks for encouraging me to dig into some of my reasons. It is very easy, I think in any sport, to just be driven to a goal without questioning why that goal is important. And yeah, there are some Riders and racers that build up to doing a race like this, and um, it's a huge accomplishment, and they say, Great, never again, now something different. I, I'm not sure where my desire to keep going back comes from. Because I want to do better. I think because I learn on every ride that I learn from mistakes, and so I want to try it again without making those mistakes. And I'll, I'm sure I'll learn from different mistakes this time.
0: I'm imagining there must have been mornings where you just didn't want to get out of bed. I'm, I I can't imagine just getting back in the saddle and riding another 150 miles. What kept you going?
1: there's a contrast of keeping the overall goal in mind of like imagining and visualizing yourself at the finish and celebrating and also not thinking how far away the finish is just thinking how far can i get today so it's own well keep the keep the long term goal in mind but only focus on like today's goal and that's like maybe make it to this town 100 miles away and if i feel okay there then try a little bit more but yeah there's definitely times when you feel like quitting and some of the advice I got was, uh, whenever you feel like quitting, eat well, sleep well, and then decide. And usually after you eat well and sleep well, you think, oh, I'll give it another day. And you just keep doing that until it's done.
0: Do you consider yourself a competitive person?
1: I think against myself more than others, and that's something from, I did some bike racing in my teens and college years. and. The appeal for me was trying to beat my own personal best, not trying to beat whoever was, you know, the, the star or the winner of the race. Uh, so that's a different style of riding, especially it's called time trailing where you're just racing against the clock, not racing against a group. And that kind of personal challenge was more appealing to me. So I think I'm competitive against myself more than trying to win prizes.
0: And do you see that play out in other areas of your life?
1: Some of that might apply to work. I want to beat my own goals or kind of achievements for for career and work. It's not comparative to someone else. It's not, I've got to do better than this person. It's, I want to set a goal and then maybe surpass it all.
0: And what advice would you have for someone who is wanting to accomplish a big endeavor? the way that you're setting out on this now 3,500 mile mixed terrain race from Portland to Washington DC. Like that's such a, it's such a big bite. You know, it's such a big bite out of life to take. It's it's kind of audacious really. (laughs) And I'm imagining that Some of our listeners, you know, might think, well, you know, that's not something I'm going to aspire to do to, but there's other goals or dreams that I have. And so what have been some of the factors for you that make the ongoing dreaming, like earlier, you said, your dad got you into racing in your teens And that you did these three rides in France that were 1,200 miles each. Kilometers. Kilometers. Thank you. And then you asked yourself what's next and you kept stepping up. So is that it for someone who wants to hike Mount Everest? They just start with Mount St. Helens?
1: Or even smaller. I mean, something like Everest is think how many days it would take you. I have no idea, maybe it takes you 10 days to climb Everest. So you do a one day and then a two day test and see how you feel. And you think, could I could I double this? And then could I double this again?
0: So are you grooming me <laughs> by asking me to go on a hundred kilometer bike race with you?
1: Well, that's how, okay. Randonneurin is the, this long distance challenge that comes from France and is now spread in the, in the US. Uh, they start off with a 100k intro ride, and then they do 200, 300, 400, 600, 1200 rides. And yeah, the the 100k is a taster to try and get you, to give you the bug.
0: Well, and we're recording this before I actually go on that 100k ride with you. So I don't quite have that first taste yet.
1: You don't have a medal yet.
0: (laughs) I don't. There's no cookie.
1: But that's something about this style of riding as well, is it's not for prizes. You asked about competition before, and it's not like to win the $1,000 prize. And there's something about the whole community of people that are attracted to this, is it's about personal challenge. It's not about trying to win. For, for some, for the top riders, it's about trying to win for the, I guess, glory, because there's not really prize money or anything in this. Um, no one really does it professionally. It's a very grassroots personal challenge sport. Some people get sponsorship maybe from their local bike shop and they'll give them some free bike parts to advertise. But for most people, this is a a pastime like outside their regular day job. and That brings a real community feel to it that everyone's doing this as a hobby, not as a career. And there's some camaraderie in, in that that everyone knows how much like work time and family time has to be like adjusted around training and given up for the races. And it kind of brings people together as kind of share the experience of how you get here. And there's some really good phrases that you, it's a success if you just make it to the start line of one of these cross-country races because it shows how much commitment you've, you've put in.
0: Yeah, and what about the people that have uh, a bike accident or a mechanical <laughs> failure or hurt themselves and have to have to stop racing.
1: Yeah, and that's really common. I mean, a 40 or 50% abandon rate is really common on some of these rides. There's so many things that can go wrong that you simply can't plan for. And then in a way, that's some of the appeal. You can do all the preparation you want, but nothing's guaranteed, and that's part of the challenge is how can you deal with things you simply can't plan for?
0: Mm, that almost yeah. sounds like a lesson on adversity.
1: And then not being attached to the outcome. <laughs> there's so many things you can imagine yourself getting to the finish and celebrating, but you can also imagine yourself stuck in the middle of nowhere and trying to find the nearest airport to get home. Yeah, there's so many things that can go wrong. It's it's a lesson in like nothing is sure. And it's luck as much as anything if you actually make it to the finish.
0: So you've spoken a little bit about the physical preparation um some of the training rides that you do that you know 100 miles becomes 200 miles becomes 300 miles but what about the emotional preparation
1: some of that is about keeping your mind occupied on a 200 mile ride and about keeping the focus for a whole day and learning that on every ride there's going to be rough patches when you feel terrible and you just want to sit down but if you push through that you know you learn it's going to be okay soon or you'll feel a little better soon but on the really long rides actually a common question is what do you think about all day and the answer to that often is hardly anything it's a real way of clearing your head and you spend 12 hours like watching the white line on a road And it's completely zen sometimes. I mean, you're aware of traffic and things, you're looking out. But in terms of what were you thinking about, what subjects do you think about? Not much, really, really blank mind. And it's almost meditation in some cases. Your mind is really calm and clear and just focused on the next priority, like where can you stop in the next town? Uh, Do you need to stop in the next town, or can you push on to the next one? It's a real kind of clarity of focus, that your priorities are really clear, like, where can you get water, where can you eat, and that's the only things that occupy your mind, and it's very calming and kind of blanking your mind for a lot of the other time, which is like some meditation, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, if you only have two needs to think about, where are you eating next and where are you sleeping next, I'm imagining that that replaces all of these other things.
1: It silences the chatter in your mind. I mean, your mind does wander and you end up with all kinds of bizarre thoughts, but they're just silly and funny and entertaining sometimes, but they're meaningless. So it it helps you get priorities kind of straight when, when it is, like, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. That's much more important than, like, oh, I don't know, what, what did I forget to do at home, or, you know? Did that work? Is that work deadline going to get met? I'm not sure. I have a bed tonight. I think that's a priority for right now. The rest is is minor.
0: Yeah. And so, tell me a story from the road, from the from the wheel. You you went on this 4,200 mile race back in 2018. I imagine. Some pretty interesting things happened along that route. What did you, first, what did you experience? And second, what did you learn about yourself?
1: I think one of the best experiences, not a single one, is just seeing the amount of support for this race. So it's got a bit of a following as a people who follow it online. And if the race comes through the hometown, they'll all go out and cheer the riders on. And yeah, riding down a windy road in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere, like dodging rattlesnakes actually in Wyoming. And then shortly after, there's someone shouting your name on the side of the road. And it's such a boost that someone's out here for you in the middle of nowhere. And You know, they're offering you water and things if you wanna stop, but sometimes you just give them a wave and carry on. But it, it's an, an amazing boost to hear your name. Um, and yeah, riding through Yellowstone as well, someone beeps their horn and flags me down in and, and a parking lot beside the road and gives me an ice cream out of the back of the trunk. <laughs> like, what are you doing out here? <laughs> I guess they could say the same to me. But that kind of support and knowing people are following you and encouraging you and want you to succeed, it's, it really pushes you. And personally, I guess the impact of that on me is kind of realizing this is something really big, like people who would never dream of doing this are still coming out to support people who are doing this. And that's really valuable and puts it in a different perspective for me that I thought of it as a personal challenge, but people come out to support it.
0: Hi. I get the feeling that maybe experiences like that renew your faith in humanity. I mean, you're going through these towns where you don't know anyone, but they know that you're doing something extraordinary. And they're coming out just to say, way to go, Kevin.
1: Yeah, yeah. And even in really poor areas as well, that's probably impacts me more. in like uh, Eastern Kentucky and, and West Virginia, through the Appalachians, it's really tough, poor country. It's kind of a culture shock going through there after living on the West Coast for a long time. It's close to a third world country in some areas, but the people there are so generous with what little they have. You can stop anywhere and ask for water, and they'll try and feed you too. Um, there are some kind of sketchy areas too, but you can always find friendly, helpful people, even in areas that you might be a little apprehensive about going into. So it's a commonality of people, I think, from yeah, all across different states. The, the last race covered 10 different states, and. the commonality of people in many different economic and and racial communities, they all have the same kind of motivation. They hear about their race, they think you're crazy, but they want to help. Yeah, I wonder if that's kind of a fundamental, you know, wanting to help strangers, travelers, that's part of every community.
0: So when I hear you talk about community values and people showing up, To help you to just reach out and offer you whatever it is they have I I think about your generous spirit Kevin and you've told me stories about offering another rider you know someone's tire blew out and you had a spare and and you offered another rider your spare tire And I think you told me he wouldn't accept it.
1: That's about being a stickler for the self-supported rules, that you're supposed to be mechanically self-sufficient. And yeah, one guy was having trouble with the tire. It hadn't blown out, but it was getting really worn, and he was looking for local bike shops to try and get a replacement, and none were available. And I, being maybe a little over-prepared, was carrying a spare tire and offered it to him, and he refused and said, oh, I can't take help from another rider. He said, well, I could drop it on the side of the road and you could say you found it. <laughs> but no, he refused <laughs> that as well. Um, so that's part of the spirit of the self-sufficiency part of it, uh, that everyone wants to be, yeah, to, to follow the rules, even if no one's actually checking. It's, it's about your personal integrity with following the spirit and the rules of the race and fixing your own problems, rather than getting someone to bail you out. And, I mean, there are great stories on these rides of you know, someone who's, like, broken a wheel outside the road and hitches a ride, and someone will take, like, a whole day and drive them to the nearest town with a bike shop and get them back to the route. So people are really um, helpful when you're obviously in need, but maybe as a some kind of personal pride, I don't want to be in that kind of need.
0: So you have to prepare for the unknown and know what to pack.
1: What to pack and have a rough plan for what's available on the road. Like You can find a pharmacy with hopefully something to help. Yeah. There are some psychological tricks. The the leader of the bike club I grew up with, uh, Roy Swinnerton, uh, he always said whenever anyone was asking how far is it home because they didn't know the route, and he was like the ride leader, he'd always say twenty miles, however far it was. Like if it was just around the corner, or if it was forty miles away, so twenty miles ago. If anyone could do twenty
0: miles, <laughs> so he he was deceptive, but everybody knew it
1: after a while. But it's it's a psychological trick, trick, and it's. Something that applies to these long rides. You don't think about, oh my God, it's 3,000 miles to go. You think, there's a town with a good hotel in like 100 miles. I'm sure I can make that by tonight. <laughs> and then you worry about the next distance the next day. You, you don't try and... It's, it's overwhelming to think of it all at once. So you break it down into sections you know you can do based on experience.
0: There was an exercise... The other night in an authentic relating course that I was leading and the teaching was on discomfort and learning to be with the discomfort and expanding your capacity to to sit with it and not try to fix it and move away from it by avoiding or that flight fight freeze response but instead Seeing what discomfort has to teach you, see what you can learn from discomfort. And I remember the first time that I took the course, and my mentor was walking us through this exercise in discomfort where we had to hold this body posture. And he would say, You know, just a couple more minutes. But then it was just a couple more minutes. And then it was still a couple more minutes. And then it was still a couple more minutes. That sounds like we're 20 miles to go. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. But
1: some of that kind of exercise is just getting used to your body signals and what it means. And, and yeah, part of getting used to a signal that means your body's not happy with this. It, it is muscle painful, but it's learning the difference between something that's damaging and something that your body is fine with.
0: And what about your experiences with any animal creatures? You're talking about some of your interactions with other citizens.
1: (laughs) Well, dogs are the most memorable one. There's a lot of loose dogs in Kentucky and Missouri. Um, Yeah, there's a story from actually the year before I I did the race, the top three riders, first, second and third place, all got bitten by a dog. The same dog. Until it was tied up. After enough people complained about it. But yeah, that's a cultural difference. People use guard dogs. The dogs are a little more aggressive than than and running loose in some some areas. You learn to deal with them.
0: You learn to <laughs> ride faster than the guy behind you. Well,
1: that's that's one thing. If you're riding close to someone else, just make sure you fasten them when a dog comes.
0: And this new race that you're doing, uh, you said earlier it was mixed terrain, so you're going to be off-road where you might encounter uh, less domesticated animals.
1: Yeah, I think not so much. A couple of sections maybe, but uh, off-road actually means on bike trails, so these are like pretty well established uh, state trails. There's one called the Cowboy Trail in Nebraska, the Katy Trail in Missouri, and the Kind of tourist routes that have been set up, and just for bikes and walkers and horses. Uh, so it's not in the middle of nowhere. It's well maintained trails, not just gravel paths through the forest. Uh, so yeah, there was a concern about. I, I asked the group, should I take bear spray or not? Uh, and some of the replies were just work on going faster so you can outrun the bear.
0: <laughs> if you had a fear, what would it?
1: probably equipment failure in in the middle of nowhere like breaking a wheel in a non-road section that's really rough and outside cell phone service uh part of the race is everyone has to carry a gps tracker and it does have an sos button on it more for medical emergencies just to let police and ambulance know where you are uh, but yeah breaking a wheel like 50 miles from nowhere probably means walking out. And um, yeah, 15 miles of walking out might be days. <laughs> so yeah, the biggest fear is probably equipment failure and not having enough food to, to get out.
0: What would you pack with you for food?
1: I'll try and keep and I usually do emergency supplies at least cliff bars and a few energy gels, which I can probably get through uh, a couple of days. You, you can survive reasonably well without food for a few days and I have plenty of fat reserves. Uh, water is probably the more important thing. So a new thing on this race is taken. Uh, it's called a life straw and like an emergency uh, water filter so you can drink from any water you find. Um yeah, that's one addition I've made for this trip because it's off road and in the middle of nowhere I can drink from a stream. If I need to.
0: Well, I sure hope you won't be getting your water supply from a puddle very often.
1: Not very often. No, it's emergencies only, I hope.
0: What else do you want our listeners to know about this type of, of adventure? You know, I, I love to have these conversations with people who are following the thread of aliveness in their life. Your passion for riding is unlike unlike anybody I've ever met. Like I'm just, I'm stunned by it, by how much it fills you up. And so there's just this curiosity in me about the experience. You spoke of the meditative nature of emptying your mind. Is there, is there more to the why you do it?
1: I mean, part of it is exercise endorphins, and you feel so good afterwards. Your body is just running on top form. And it's, it's similar to other sports. It's similar to like open water swimming and marathon running as well. There's a comparison that, a, like a full day, a six or eight hour ride on a bike is a similar challenge to doing a marathon. Like most people can, you know, average person who isn't that fit can still train up and do a marathon in a, in a reasonable time. And that's similar for like a a day bike ride. You don't have to be an athlete to do it. You just set a goal and follow a training plan and you pretty definitely get there. And there's a reward of setting a goal like that and achieving it and seeing your body change and knowing it's processing things really efficiently and recovering well, ready for the next time. And I don't do this Constantly, it's, it is something like, kind of the itch comes around every few, every few years. But after I do one of these, I enjoy doing nothing for a year. <laughs> but it's some reassurance that knowing, like, if I put my mind to it, I'll get fit and fast again. And age 50 plus, that's a good feeling to have. It's like, maybe I'm not going downhill quite yet. I can still stay at a level.
0: I get a sense of pride from you like watching your body go through this thing. And, and if I were that fit, which I'm not, <laughs> but if I were, I'm thinking that there would be this expanded capacity that I would think that so much more is possible in my lifetime. You know, if I could do this, what else could I do? Mm-hmm. Even even beyond that particular mode of exercise, that it would just open up, uh, it would open up all the doors to, well, what else do I want to do?
1: Well, you said pride, and I'm not sure it's about pride. It's maybe reassurance that my body's running well and healthy and I'm treating it well and it's doing what it's supposed to. Um, so it's probably personally like reassurance that I'm fairly healthy. Not not pride that I'm doing it well or mm. yeah, pride doesn't feel feel like it sits right. But it's more confidence and and feeling lucky that I can value my health that way.
0: Okay, what's the strangest thing you've seen on the road?
1: There's a lot of roadkill in Missouri. I don't know why. Yes, there's so much wildlife that's right by the road. And yeah, all kinds of things, things that took a while to identify like armadillos. I'm not sure I've ever seen one of those before. Stopping to move turtles off the road so they don't get squashed. <laughs> yeah, Missouri probably had a, a huge variety of wildlife. Um, yeah, Wyoming was riding across in a headwind and hearing a weird noise from my bike, like a ticking, like something has come loose, and you know, maybe I've got a flat and the tire's hissing, so I'm looking down at the bike while moving, looking down to see what it is, and then see a rattlesnake rattling his tail like ten feet in front of me. I, I swerved to miss that. <laughs> Some of the most dangerous animals to look out for, especially at dusk, are deer. And as a rider, in the year I did the 2018 ride, uh, had his helmet clipped by a deer jumping over him. Luckily, didn't knock him over. For riding at night, I have good lights. All the riders have good lights. But still, a deer running across the road can really make you jump.
0: What are some of the essential things you pack with you?
1: It's important to be lightweight. So you are allowed to use hotels on on the ride, but sometimes you're dead tired and there's no town for 50 miles and you just have to sleep wherever you are. So I've got lightweight, most of the riders carry really lightweight camping gear. It's called a bivvy bag, which is pretty much a sleeping bag cover uh, with a mosquito net and slightly waterproof. Um, so I've never used a bivvy bag before. I've tried this, this kind of racing. Um, yeah, there's some tips to uh take a little luxury with you just to make you feel good and comfortable and my luxury is a little inflatable pillow because i sleep much better with a pillow and um, yeah everyone has something like that
0: <laughs> where would you find yourself if not in a hotel room
1: uh city parks often let you sleep overnight um what would they call it stealth camping sometime you you find like a a farm gateway and no one's going to drive through there at night. So you just sleep behind the hedge.
0: What's the most (laughs) unusual place you've slept in?
1: (laughs) Um, A post office after leaving Yellowstone uh, in rural areas, the post offices are often left unlocked all night for people to pick up their mail any time of day or or night. But if you like arrive after midnight and leave before 5 a.m., no one's going to come in. yeah, riding through Yellowstone last time, I was dead tired and looking out for places to sleep and checking like every every like farm gateway or something or every little, little wood at the side of the road. Could I sleep there? Until I saw big flashing signs saying bears and cubs in the area don't stop. <laughs> so that made me keep riding and then I happily found the post office and could close the door hoping it was bear proof. And was it? I didn't, well, I didn't. No bears woke me up.
0: Good. I asked you earlier uh, about your experiences and my second question was, what did you learn about yourself? I mean, you've talked about stretching your comfort zone and uh, learning about your resilience and your capacity. Is there, is there more to that?
1: There's something different going forward again. And I'm I, I'm not sure I can put my finger on that yet because I know I can do something like this. And now it's a challenge to see, can I do it better? Can I do it more efficiently? But personally being in a different place in life now, it's more real how much family time and and time with my partner I'm giving up to do this kind of personal challenge. And there's a little, I don't know, demon, devil, what do you say, making me question whether it's selfish to go off and do things like this. The first time was about, I had no commitments and wanted to do something completely for myself. But now I'm questioning a little, like, I don't need to prove that to myself again, but I still want to do it for the challenge but I'm more aware of the family and like work sacrifices I have to make to do this.
0: Do you have any questions that you would like to ask your partner directly about that?
1: (laughs) Do you think I'm crazy for doing something like this? I mean, in some ways, it's it's a vacation that's to check out for three or four weeks from from real life in some ways. And proving my self sufficiency independence to myself. But I'm not feeling there's a need to prove that it's more about enjoyment this time. But maybe it's a pretty masochistic kind of enjoyment.
0: So are you asking that question seriously?
1: I am interested to know what is the impact on you for me to be gone for three plus weeks, completely doing my own
0: thing. I heard you say, do you think I'm crazy? (laughs) And for the record, I'm just gonna state, hell yeah, I think you're fucking crazy. Now, does that turn me on a little bit? (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, it kind of does. (laughs) it kind of does. And, you know, am I going to miss you for three and a half weeks? Like for sure. And it's, I can't even talk about this race and you being, you going on it without getting emotional. And it's because I'm so in awe of your ability to set your mind to something and to watch you train so diligently and prepare and pack and research. I mean, when I saw you making a list, I mean, this was February for a race that's at the end of June, and you were tracking the distance from one city to the next, and exactly how many resources were available within that that city, how many miles apart between restaurants, potential accommodations, convenience stores, how many miles would you have to go off route if you wanted a good night's sleep versus things that were available to you on the path. And you map that out from one coast to the next diligently to see that level of attention being put to something shows me the level of mastery that that you have because there's this whole pile of things that are unknown you don't know the terrain you don't know the weather you can't predict things that are going to happen you've got you and your bike and the few bags that you have on your bike with your sleeping bag, your one change of clothes, your snacks, your tools, that's it. And so this self-sufficiency, like I, the only thing I can liken it to Kevin is when I, when I went backpacking in Southeast Asia in 2017 and I hadn't done that as like outside of my mid twenties. And there is a lot of freedom in just having a backpack and going, this is everything I have for a month and a half. This this is me moving around from city to city, country to country. It's very liberating. Mm -hmm. And to be moving through the world on a bicycle, so streamlined with everything that you have. So yes, I think you're crazy. Yes, I'm going to miss you. And it's fucking awesome. I'm going to have my pom-poms out watching your dot.
1: (laughs) I know you're a professional cheerleader. (laughs) But you mentioned pride before. I, I forgot which context it was and it didn't fit right. But I do find some pride in doing all the advanced research and knowing I'm doing something as well as I possibly can. I'm not going to win the race. I'm, I'm not that I don't have that kind of natural talent, but I want to know I've done the best preparation I can and I've kind of controlled as much as I think is controllable. So yeah, planning out every gas station for 3000 miles so I know where I can get food 24 hours if I need it. Um, that's something about confidence building and making me feel well prepared. And I do pride myself in doing something well, not to beat someone else, just knowing I've I've done it thoroughly.
0: You and I differ there.
1: <laughs> Cause you're more cavalier and winged.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: I think you need part of that for a chance like this too because you know things are going to go wrong and that this one gas station in the middle of nowhere you're going to find out is closed for the weekend and it's 100 miles to the next one and you've got to deal with it and go find water from a farmhouse or something. So yeah, you need you need confidence that you can wing it but it's also, well, my strategy is control as much as I can before that.
0: I'm just trying to think about the mind muscle. You know, you you offered an example just there of the place that you've mapped out, let's say they've since closed. I imagine a lot of businesses closed over over 2020 and mm-hmm. and 2021 with the with the pandemic. And it might be that information on the internet isn't as up to date. So the likelihood that you're going to encounter a place that you might have relied on, and it's not going to be there. Actually,
1: that's a big difference between the race I did before on a very well-established bike route that's been there since the 70s. And there are lots and lots of reports on people who have done it before and where they found services, and this is a great motel to stay at, and this is really good pie at this shop. Uh, The race I'm starting this week uh, has only been run once before. there are a lot more unknowns and that's a lot more figure things out on your own rather than rely on other people's experiences.
0: Yeah. And you said something at the beginning of the conversation, when I asked you about this, uh, big adventure. And you said that it's a practice of surrendering and letting go of the outcome of attachment to the outcome, because as I was saying, with the places that are closed, you're going to have to pivot and come up with the next thing that you're going to try, the next thing that you're going to do. So there's this elasticity mm-hmm. that uh, that you're going to have to rely on, and so the the mental game has to be has to be on point
1: but i think it's also a lesson that however much preparation you do however much you plan out like i'm ideally i'm going to stop here on night 1 and here on night 2 it's probably not going to work out like that and you're going to have to wing it anyway so it's a it's a real lesson i've learned that all the preparation you do might turn out to be irrelevant because there's a spanner in the works and you've got to plan again so it's kind of gaining confidence from planning and controlling as much as you can at the same time, balancing that you have no control of what's gonna happen today and you're gonna have to wing it anyway.
0: So what does that look like for you? Do you go, like, do you spend time in in grief or sorrow thinking like, ah, shit, that place is closed and man, why didn't I know that? Like, do you beat yourself up or? Do you just bounce and...
1: It probably depends how much you've had to eat that day or how much you slept the night before. It really depends on your mood and you definitely go through cycles of beating yourself up and then talking yourself down and thinking, well, this is not helping. Like, here's a passing car flagging down and asking where the nearest open gas station is and see if it's on route or not. Yeah, there's definitely some phases of beating yourself up. Yeah, I, I set a goal of I'm going to make it to this town. I'm going to get a really nice hotel bed and and 40 miles away thinking, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to lie down in the hedge. And then feeling like a failure because I missed my goal. Sleep and get up tomorrow and try again.
0: So you're admitting that you do have those moments.
1: Yeah, when things don't go to plan, you end up kicking yourself for not planning enough, but you can never plan enough. So you have to soothe yourself and talk yourself down from, from that. And it is a realization, I think, partly how mood is based on when you last ate or how well you slept the night before and knowing it's physiological factors, not, not your personality. Knowing that you're beating yourself up, but then telling yourself just find a good meal and then think it through again after. your your brain depends on your body
0: i'm just letting that sink in your brain depends on your body
1: there, there's so many things that can affect your mood that are purely physical things and it's not about your personality or your being mentally weak or something it's just now your body needs some more calories before you can think straight again
0: so, feed your body, feed your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. And treat it well. And yeah, I know there's a lot of junk food on these rides, but in general, treat your body healthily and your mind will be running well as well.
0: So, on the other side of this, when you have completed two cross country races, do you have your sights set on? What, what else you want to accomplish?
1: No specific goal. And there's sometimes straight after finishing one of these rides, almost everyone says never again. And then it kind of comes back after a month or so, you start forgetting the bad bits and remembering the good bits, and thinking, I'd like a, a hit of those good bits again. And for me, this last time, it took a couple of years to build up again. There are other races like this. They started in Europe. There's a race called the Transcontinental that started before the US ones. There's another one in Australia, uh, West to East Australia, maybe one day. I think that's what I say when I finish the first one. Someone asked me, would I do it again? And I said Not
0: right now, but maybe one day. Well, I look forward to cheering you on for that one too, Kevin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll have down to k by okay, well, then.
0: Maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible. Right? <laughs> Anything
1: is possible and it's worth a try. And there's there's no guarantee of success, but it's still a challenge. There's a phrase I like actually from Mike Hall, who's the British guy who started this kind of racing, this non-competitive, non-professional racing. And he said, nothing worth doing is ever easy. And he stepped out on the top of his bike. There's motivation for when he's feeling down it's like it's not supposed to be easy. That's why it's a challenge.
0: I've heard that said about setting up a camp at Burning Man in a 100 degree heat with a windstorm.
1: <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy.
0: It's not supposed to be easy. Or else
1: everyone would do it.
0: Exactly. Ah. Oh. Wow, what a thrill to spend this kind of time with you.
1: Thank you for asking me to do this. It is really centering to think more about the why of doing this rather than just the, what's on my packing list? What have I missed? Thanks for taking me to this level.
0: You're welcome. You know, it's my jam. Thank you, Sherry. Okay. For anybody wanting to follow Kevin on the race, I'll be including a link to the Dot Watcher Facebook page, and you can track him as he cycles from Portland today all the way to Washington, D.C. Next week, the radio station is taking a holiday break as our program airs on Sunday, July 4th. Happy Independence Day! to all our American listeners. So there won't be another Pink Noise episode until July 11th, when my guest will be Carly Hauk, author of Shine, Ignite Your Inner Game, to lead consciously at work and in the world. I'm looking forward to amplifying Carly's passion. Until then, keep mining and shining your inner gold.